Good morning. They, they tell me I have three to four hours, so just, just be patient. Let's come before the, the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you and we worship you, for you alone are God. There is no other. There's no imagination of man. There's no piece of wood or chunk of metal that can compare. There's no image to be made of you. You're God Almighty, worthy of praise. So we come before you today and we pray, Lord, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill me once again that your word would be preached in truth. We lay this service at your feet. We lay our lives at your feet. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, you all have your Bibles with you? Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 18. Matthew 21, 18. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. I love that sound, by the way. Do you hear that? All, all the pages flipping? It means you brought your Bibles. Matthew 21, 18 says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he, Jesus, became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Bill Gates, founder and CEO of the Microsoft Empire. One day he goes to work. And as he's walking down the aisle to get to his office, and he's passing people's desks, and he says, Hi, how you doing? Good morning. And he's saying this to various people, and they don't look up. Don't even acknowledge him. One person looks up and gives him kind of a quizzical look. Goes back to what they're doing. He gets into his office kind of confused, and he, he gets on that intercom thing that people have in offices, and he calls his secretary. Psh, um, Helen, do you have the uh, document that we were working on the other day? Psh, uh, Helen? Psh, why isn't she answering me? What's going on here? He gets up and he goes to the office next door. A project manager has an office there. And so he goes over there and, Harry, so what about the work we were doing the other day? And, and Harry looks up at him and says, who are you? And he says, I'm Bill Gates. I founded this company. I built it from the ground up. What is going on here today? I mean, you guys obviously have come to work. I hired you. You cashed your paychecks. I know that. You do it every week. I write. What's going on? You're not recognizing me. You're not acknowledging me. What do you think would be happening that day in that office? Probably a lot of firing, yeah? Especially if that attitude kept going on and on and on, and they just didn't 
They refused to acknowledge him and refused to see who he was. Today in our passage, we're going to be looking at two kinds of people. Those who fail to recognize Jesus, recognize his authority, and are judged for it. And the second group of people are those who do recognize Jesus for who he is, and subsequently they submit to him by faith and are thus enabled to accomplish great things in his name. Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. What's going on in this passage? Why curse this fig tree, this poor, innocent, leafy green fig tree? According to the account in the book of Mark, it wasn't even the season for figs. What is Jesus doing here? Is is Jesus being vengeful? Is Jesus being childish because he didn't get what he wanted? Or is there something more to this passage? Is there something else going on here? We've got to remember, as good students of Scripture, there are three rules to, to Scripture interpretation. The first rule is context. The second rule is context. I bet you can't guess what the third one is. The third rule is context. Yes, amen. So first we're going to look at the immediate context. What, what, in order to understand what the, is going on with this fig tree, let's look at what's going on around it. In this chapter, it starts with the triumphal entry. And people are shouting, Hosanna to, to he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And they're glad Jesus is there. They bring him in. And then, so, so they recognized his kingship, right? And then what happens right after that? He goes into the temple, and in the temple he exercises his authority. He starts knocking over tables. He makes a whip. He says, don't turn my father's house into a a vending machine. You're going to—it should be a house of prayer. So he exercises his authority. And then we have the fig tree incident. And then after the fig tree incident, we have the Pharisees and the leaders, the religious leaders of Israel, gathered together, and they're saying— Who gave you this authority? They're questioning the authority of Jesus Christ. The king came into his city. The religious leaders look at him and they say, Who are you? Context number two is the whole book. Or in this case, we can also look at the other Gospels. There are three synoptic Gospels that kind of tell a lot of the same stuff from slightly different points of view. I already brought up Mark's account where it wasn't even the season for figs. In the book of Luke, chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable about a fig tree and the judgment that came upon that fig tree. Third context we want to look at is the entirety of Scripture. Does anything else in Scripture refer to this situation? Is there something in the Old Testament that might mention something about this? 
If you want to go to the book of Micah, I'm going to start in chapter 6, verse 15. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. Micah 6, 15. God talking to Israel. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine, for you have kept the statutes of Omri. They had aligned themselves with a false god. He goes on and says, and all the works of the house of Ahab you're doing. You have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. He goes on in chapter 7, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat. Get this. No first ripe fig that my soul desires. There was no first ripe fig that his soul desired back in Micah. That accords very well with where we are in Matthew. If we look at uh, chapter 21, starting in verse 42, Jesus said to them, the religious leaders, he said, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. The fruitless fig tree in our passage today has a greater representation than just being a, a, fig, a figless fruit tree. It represents the faithless. It represents the unfaithful, the ungodly. Back in Micah, when God was talking to Israel, he's saying, you may have been God's chosen people, but you aren't acting like it. You aren't behaving like it. You may dress like an Israelite. You may speak Hebrew. You may wear a tie on Sunday, either a long one or, or a bow. You may speak, speak Christianese, and you may say long-winded, beautiful, holy prayers so other people can say, oh, that was just wonderful. One may go to church, but do we have faith in Jesus Christ? Do we have faith in Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? And what is the nature of his authority that he could do these things? Well, again, in Matthew context, Matthew 22, starting in verse 41 to 46, Jesus is talking to them and he's saying, how is it that the Christ is to be the, the son of David when David calls him Lord? Back in the Psalms. If David called the Messiah Lord, even though he was to be his son, his son, how does this work, guys? And the implication here is that the Christ, Jesus, is from eternity past. But there's only one who's from eternity past, right? And that is God Almighty. John the Baptist attested to him and said that he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. But John the Baptist was born before Jesus three months or so. But he says, Jesus was before me. 
Jesus himself said, before Abraham was, I am. He identifies himself as God from eternity past. Who is Jesus? Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn preeminent over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He holds all things together at this very moment by his word of power. If he wanted to just let go, he could, but he doesn't. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is the second person of the triune God to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. There was a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And when he rebuked the wind and the waves, they obeyed him. In Luke chapter 19, we hear Jesus tell the Pharisees, they're telling him to keep his disciples quiet. Tell them to to just stop praising you here. And he says to them, if I tell them to be quiet, the very rocks will recognize me and they will cry out and praise. This world around us, this is Jesus's company. He literally built it from the ground up. Every last bit of it as he holds it together. The rocks would cry out, and the wind and the waves obey him. But this fig tree, it sits there like this is any other day, and this is any other man. It doesn't recognize him. It doesn't acknowledge him. It does not recognize his authority over it. Interesting thing about fig trees. Here it says in verse 19 that there were leaves on this fig tree, and often fig trees produce fruit before they produce leaves. So leaves are a pretty good indicator that this should be a fruit-bearing fig tree. It looked like a fruit-bearing fig tree, but it wasn't. So the question that brings us to, is it possible that there is a leafy but fruitless fig tree here among us. But before you start looking at the person to your left and to your right and going, yeah, that one over there, um, we want to look at ourselves. God's word is here to cause us to introspect upon ourselves and our own hearts. One of my favorite sayings is that going to church makes you a Christian as much as standing in a garage makes you a car. We like to know that we have the job. We like to know that we are saved. But do we acknowledge every single day the authority of the one who gave it to us? We like to have the fire insurance in our back pocket. I'm not going to hell. I'm saved. But are we willing to submit and conform our lives to the authority of the one who saved us. A.W. Tozer, 
said, In every Christian's heart there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. Are we happy to have Christ die in our place at the cross? But when it comes to submitting to his will and his word, do we get a little sheepish or a little self-justifying? It's okay that I do this and that, and I walk in this way because of this and that, because of these reasons, even though we just read it in Scripture that we should be different. Is Jesus both your Savior and your Lord, both your Creator and your God? Are we ready to apply his word to our lives and submit to him even if it's inconvenient? even if it's not really the season for figs? Are we ready to apply his word to our lives and submit to him even if it's inconvenient? When God reveals a truth to me or convicts me by his spirit, am I ready and willing to change my life, my traditions, my views, in order to be conformed into his image and align my life up with his word a little more? Am I willing and ready to become a better tool in his hand. According to our passage, those who do not recognize Jesus and acknowledge his authority, who do not submit to him in this life, will be judged. Verse 19, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And at once the fig tree withered. There is no salvation apart from recognizing his authority in our lives. When we recognize and apply the authority of Christ in our lives, that's when we repent. We look at God and we say, your word, it's right. And I have been wrong. I do have sin in my life. I need to submit myself to you and recognize your, your sovereign authority over me. But we need to make sure it's not just a, a one-time thing that we do. God calls us to a a continued walk with him, a continued recognition of his authority in our lives. Now, I'm, I'm not advocating a lordship salvation in which you have to question your salvation every time you sin, or you should go around, the, go around judging the, the salvation of others as you see them sin. You go, oh, you're not saved. No, I'm not, I'm not advocating that. Christians can sin too. We are perfected and yet being sanctified, according to Hebrews 10.14. But as the Lord chooses to write this passage to us, as he convicts us with passages like this, we ought to be willing to continue in that sanctification process and not be satisfied with where we are. I've been a Christian for 20 years, I'm good. I've been a Christian for 40 years, I'm good. Is that what God calls us to? Now, there is good news here in this passage. If you recognize Jesus 
and acknowledge his authority, you will be capable of an immense impact for his kingdom here on this earth and in this life. Verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. The disciples here are in awe. What's going on here? How did this happen? Why did it happen? What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is teaching them something. He's teaching them that he wants them to be different from the fig tree. He wants them to exercise faith in their lives. Did you notice the book ends? If you have faith, you'll do the same thing to the fig tree. You'll move mountains. You'll get whatever you want in prayer. If you have faith. He says, if you have faith, you'll be a tool in his hand. You'll be capable of taking this world by storm for the sake of his kingdom. You will receive anything you ask for if you have faith. So what, what does it mean to have faith? To have faith is to know God and to apply that knowledge to our heads and our hearts, that we would live it out in our lives, that we live it out in what we do and what we say. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Faith is to know God and to understand who he is, to have full assurance and conviction that God is and that he does what he says he'll do, to recognize his authority and his power, to have confidence in our walk with him because we know that our faith has come from him in the first place. It is not a salvation by works righteousness, but that, that none of us should boast. It is a gift from God. And if we truly know God and we know who he is, we really recognize him, we will fear him. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We will honor him. We will render to Jesus everything that belongs to him, our heart, our mind, our soul, every last bit of who we are. We will align our own will with his will. We'll be willing to subjugate our personal desires to his desires. We will want the things that God wants more and more in our lives. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In faith, we submit to his authority as we realize all that he is and all that he has done for us on our behalf. If we have this kind of faith that comes humbly before the sovereignty of God, 
Why would he not also give us everything? If we have this faith that aligns our will with his will and we want the very same things that God wants, why would he not also give us anything and everything we need to accomplish his will here on this earth? Anything? He says, anything, whatever you ask for, you will receive. I don't know about you, but I've prayed for a whole lot of things that I haven't received, yeah? Yes, there are things that we do not receive when we ask. As we live in a fallen world and we have broken bodies, we come to God with varying measures of faith, some great, some small, surrounded by our own sin and temptations. We come to God with a growing knowledge of him and a faith that can grow, intermingled with those personal desires and sinful temptations and passions that still stand apart from God. James chapter 4, verse 3, James tells us that we ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions, the things that we want, not necessarily the things that God wants. Let us thank God that Jesus does not demand a certain size or perfection of faith in order for us to be given salvation. Jesus cursed that fig tree, not because it had small fruit, not because it only had a couple of pieces of fruit, but because it had no fruit. Let us thank God that he is always able to sort out our sinful desires from what is truly best for us. We will receive whatever we ask for in this life inasmuch as our will is lined up with God's own will. We are capable of an immense impact for his kingdom in this life inasmuch as we are faithful to God and his will. If you have faith. In this passage, we see two kinds of people. We see the one who entirely fails to recognize Jesus' person and authority and is judged for it. We also have the one who acknowledges and submits to Jesus' person and authority and then becomes a great tool for his glory. And the difference between these two is faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If I can find it. didn't hide from me this well in the last service. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 8, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are given salvation by faith, and we are called to a life of faith that does the things of God that he prepared for us to do in the first place. God's word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, giving us insight as we introspect. And as Christians, as the family of God, let us not allow complacency and apathy to become a part of our Christian walk. But let us always be prepared to respond to the authority of Jesus in our lives. Perhaps you are a man or woman of faith, 
ready to recognize and submit to Jesus every day of your life. Let us continue to grow in our faith and in our faithfulness so that we can become stronger tools in the hands of an almighty God. Let's spend time in his word that we would grow in faith and know him more and understand the things that he wants to align our wills more with him. Let us spend time in prayer before him and let us spend time in fellowship with those who would encourage us in our walk with Christ. And in these ways, grow in our faith. Is there an area of your life that you have as of yet been unwilling to submit to the authority of God in your life? We often have things hidden in the closets of our hearts. Let the Word of God search out those things. Let your faith grow to touch every single aspect of your life. Reading, praying, fellowshipping are all ways to help us grow and and to help us clean out those closets that we try to keep locked up. Perhaps you've been coming to church. You wear your leaves well, but just haven't given your life completely to the authority of Jesus yet. You still sit on the throne of your heart. You're resting in perhaps an easy salvation, that one-time submission, I got my fire insurance in my pocket, I'm good. There's nothing easy about our salvation. Jesus Christ died for you. Acknowledge him before men, and he will acknowledge you before the Father. Perhaps you're here and you're deciding if you want to believe at all. Understand the authority of your Creator and Savior. This is my Father's world. This is Jesus' world. He created it from the ground up. Understand that today is the day of salvation. Understand the depth and riches and lavishness of the love that Jesus Christ has for you. That love that took him all the way to a cross. The most horrific means of death that man has ever devised. There is no other way. He loves you so much to go there in your place. Come to Jesus in faith today. Confess your sinful condition to the Lord. Accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in your place and for your sins. Walk with him then in a life that is being transformed in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father God, we bow our hearts before you. Help us, Lord, to once again recognize the authority that you have in our lives and the the richness of your love for us. And may we be drawn to you all the more. May we be drawn to submitting to you and your authority because we recognize the, the depth of your love for us. Fill us with your spirit that we would go from this place and put that on display for the world to see. And pray, Lord, all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.